Hey there, mucho gusto, and welcome to another episode of Detective Writer. I'm your host, Sally, aka Detective Writer, and today is a very special new episode. We have now reached the 100th episode of Detective Writer, and I truly can't thank you all enough for all the support. It's truly because of you guys that we've all gotten to the 100th episode, and today is not only just a special one because it's the 100th episode, but because... I am going to be discussing a murder mystery story time, but I have a guest with me, our guest co-host, Frank Gander. Hello. And I truly am really excited to hear everyone's thoughts on this case. It's called the Hall Mills case from 1922. I don't know if you want to get started first, Trent. Well, uh, I wasn't expecting it to go exactly this way. However... I found this case surprisingly interesting for what it was because of the slightly more gory details of the arrangement of the bodies and the the wounds left on the individuals in question. It's really interesting because the bodies were found in a field near a farm. And just a trigger warning, we will be discussing the manner of death as well as the crime scene in which the bodies were discovered. So if anyone feels uncomfortable, please feel free to skip ahead. But the bodies were found on both of their backs. They had been shot in the right side of their head. And Mills was shot three times and Hall was only shot, murdered over 24 hours prior. And Hill had a hat that was covering his face. His business card was placed on his feet. And it's really also interesting because their love letters that they had shared between them had been torn into shreds, really right between the bodies. And at the time of her death, Mills had been wearing a blue dress with red polka dots, stockings, and shoes, as well as her blue velvet hat. It was on the ground by her feet, and her brown silk scarf had been wrapped around her neck. One of her arms had a bruise, and she had a cut on her lip. Someone had placed her left hand to touch Hill's right thigh. And at the scene, Hills had glasses on his face, he had a bruise on the tip of his ear, his gold watch was missing, but he still had coins in his pocket, and somebody had actually positioned his right arm to touch Mill's neck. But soon after, Hall's wife and her two brothers, as well as a cousin, had been suspected to have played a role, but nobody was ever indicted. And I believe his name was Henry de la Bruyere Carpenter? I could be butchering that. But he had actually been, he had actually been tried separately from everybody else. But that's the weird thing. He had been, he had placed a bid and he won to be tried separately from all of the other suspects. But he was never tried, and everybody else was, I can't pronounce the word correctly, acquitted. And even though they all had motive for the murder, there's still not enough evidence to convict them. And to this day, the murders remain unsolved. I'm not sure if you have any ideas on any theories of your own, Trent, that maybe you'd like to share. Well, I can only go off of some of the things that I researched before this, which is there was one supposed eyewitness to the murder referred to as the pig lady because she was a hog farmer in the area. She had seen several people in the, in the field near her property rode her donkey over or mule to check out the situation. She saw, I believe it was four individuals in the, in the field. As she gets closer, somebody fires a shot. One of the bodies drops. Then she hears somebody shouting, possibly a woman, 
then several more shots, and then she decided that was none of her business and decided to go back home, which I think is a really smart thing to do at that point. The the wound positioning for both victims indicates that the assailant was on their right-hand side. The other entry wounds for Miss Mills or Mrs. Mills would have gone a little bit harder through the the mishy brain meats that would have caused her to drop it quickly, but wasn't as incapacitating as Hall's wound. In some of the things that I looked at, it showed that, or it was stated that her esophagus and part of her tongue had been removed, other than just her throat slit. While others say that it was slit ear to ear, others had just a large gash in the neck and a gash on one of their legs. I forget which one. It's really interesting because I can't help but think she was shot, her throat or maybe her neck had been severed. I can't help but think that maybe it was sort of a crime of passion in a way because she obviously got a, a worse manner of death. And it's really interesting to me that uh, Hills had coins in his pocket, but his gold watch was missing. And I found it also really interesting, Trent, that I, as I was doing some research, and I had actually mentioned it to you earlier, that some curiosity seekers, I think that was a term that they used back then, a lot of curiosity seekers had actually approached the crime scene and they had taken a few things as well as a few items in the house nearby. And I thought that's really interesting because in today's in today's world, if if people were to do that, crime scenes are basically now tarnished. You really are left with basically zero evidence. And I'm curious as to why 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 would people be even allowed to be touching a crime scene even back then? Well, at the time, forensic evidence was very much in its infancy. We'd have stories about Sherlock Holmes and oh, I forget the name of the the character that would inspire Sherlock Holmes, but he was a procedural um, mortician. Uh, that stuff really, was, really wasn't really was as developed as it was today, and it really started to take on somewhere in the 1960s, 1980s for crime scene protection. We're still in the time of a lot of like gang crime, gangsters. Um, 22 was in the middle of Prohibition, so there was people like um, not Bonnie and Clyde, Oh, the name escapes me, but all, all the really big, famous uh, gang and mobster fights that were going on at the time. And yes, they did have some idea of protecting crime scenes. But if I remember correctly, there was a dispute as to which jurisdiction this was in. So while everyone's doing the administration things, no one, no, none of the cops know who to set up and put a perimeter around the area. And everyone's just trancing through the place, trying to figure out what was going on themselves because, hey, this is this is something new and fresh and scandalous. We have to be in the know. Exactly. And I find it just really interesting because a lot of people apparently had taken quite a few things and they had took souvenirs. They even took Hall's business card. And I find it even more puzzling that the bodies, I believe it was Mills who had her, she, her hand was placed on Hall's right fly and i'm just thinking what i wonder what was the purpose of that just positioning them to even touch each other i'm even curious about that as well especially it just looks like somebody just really wanted to send a message as well as tearing their love letters and leaving it between them it definitely strikes a revenge 
my current theory on the situation is that they were attacked somewhere else and brought there, given the cut on her lip and the bruise on his ear. Those are very indicative of somebody hitting them in order to either gain compliance or to make them be quiet. Most likely, yeah. And I also found it really kind of mind-boggling that the husband was never even tried, Mills's husband, but, you know, Hall's wife was, I believe, acquitted as well as her brothers. I find it interesting that the husband wasn't tried at all. I mean, he certainly would have had a motive, don't you think? Well, he definitely would, but I believe his was probably be more targeted at her and probably a little bit more brutal because of the pig woman's testimony that there were multiple people. Since there was more family members brought in on Hall's side, it makes more sense that it would be their family rather than just a singular rage-filled husband, which would probably be why he was not tried or at least thought as a subject makes sense i i automatically assume that it was most likely the husband because of the manner of this woman's way of death but it's even interesting because the pig farmer that you mentioned i think her name was jane gibson and she was considered the key witness but i think when i was doing more research the defense had thought that she was considered uneducated, really crazy, and people, I think, they didn't think that she was, that she had any knowledge of what she was saying. They may have thought she was just talking out of her mouth. And I remember hearing something where people were saying that Jane Gibson's, basically her stories was a little different when she was talking to police, to newspapers, so nobody really knows if her testimony was actually true. But I'm actually curious as to what could have been viewed that night from this woman's eyes, especially if I don't think her house was too far from where the bodies were discovered. Yes, she was relatively down the road, close enough to be able to hear or to see someone having a, a dispute, and then close enough to have to be able to ride an animal to get there. So that can impact what people see, especially at night. Because uh, mm -hmm. visual testimony is sometimes very, very hard to corroborate, especially because how people's eyes are different, memory under stress changes things significantly. And I can understand why they would dis disavow her testimony. However, mm -hmm. it's really the only thing that makes sense, given that two different people were murdered at roughly the same time and placed in the same area. That is not a one person affair two to three people to be able to secure them and bring them to another location. I can see why, especially since a lot of people had automatically, you know, been convinced that it was Hall's wife as well as brothers-in-law. And it also really strikes me because I believe Carpenter, he had actually owned a 32 caliber pistol that had actually, much like the weapon that was used in the murder. But it's really interesting because from what I was reading, he actually provided his weapon, his fingerprints was found on the calling card that was left at the scene. And from what I was also listening, a lot of people had also thought that his testimony was seemed something, but it didn't actually seem like it was all too true. Because a lot of people said because he had been, I guess, left off from a lot of jobs, he didn't really have a hard time, well, the easiest time getting a job. And he was always hanging out at a local firehouse. 
there was even some speculation that he may have had autism, but nobody had actually diagnosed him. So people had just thought that maybe he was just talking out of his mouth or maybe just may have had something to do with it, but it could never be proven. So the interesting aspect of the murder weapon being a 32, 32s and other small caliber pistols were extremely common between 1895 and like the 1930s because they were readily available, easily concealed, and were uh, powerful enough to get the job done, but also light enough to be able to be relatively accurate. Uh, a trend in this style of firearm is still around today, but not in that exact caliber. So just because he had a pistol that was in the correct caliber for the murder weapon does not necessarily mean that he used it. It is an extremely common caliber for that time period, especially in civilian hands. Regarding his behavior, if he was uh, mentally challenged would be closer to the term that they would use at the time. Um, it would make sense for him not to really, really care at that point. And if he's just always telling stories, they probably write him off. Most likely. But it's also interesting because apparently his fingerprint had been found on one of Paul's business cards, but it was left at the scene of the crime. And I think Jane Gibson had actually said, the pig farmer had even said that she had heard and she had heard a woman yell don't about three times and she had seen about four people standing around the area of the scene of the crime. And she claimed, I believe, that she had heard a woman shout the name Henry, which I believe was Carpenter's, I think, nickname. But it's actually really interesting because there's so many different stories. You have no idea which one to prove. And then to even think that curiosity seekers may have even taken souvenirs, just been about. It just gives me so many theories as to whose story is actually true. Yeah. Scrolling through some of the other evidence that there was supposedly an individual named Henry Hugel Stevens involved. However, he has a corroborated three witness testimony of him not being there, but test, but uh, fishing a long while away, which would tie into the use of the term Henry, which is why he probably was suspected. Most likely, yeah. And a lot of, like three of the suspects have been acquitted. And it's just so interesting because I had done, I had looked at a YouTube video a few hours before on the case. People had thought that maybe Mills' husband had something to do with it. Maybe he had hired someone. But even in those scenarios, I think that would still be really hard to prove, especially in those times. It was even speculated that maybe Mills' husband had maybe brought a random curiosity seeker and just paid them to take to take out his wife and her lover but even in those scenarios i think those are relatively a little more difficult to believe true also we have to keep that in mind that uh miss mill or mrs mills was married to essentially the local janitor of the church and if you're the janitor you're not going to be leaving much of a mess and this seems like a very messy site to leave behind especially in an area he would probably have known he was be suspected first if anything happened. Yeah, and it's like, I don't think that he would have possibly paid anybody to murder his wife, especially since, from what I'm gathering, somebody had positioned the bodies to touch each other, but to leave that kind of a big mess, yeah, I agree. It just seems a little too hard to be true. And then, if you think about it, 
I'm really curious. Could you actually mention a little bit more about the interesting aspects about the pistol? Because it's funny that Carpenter had the same type of pistol that was used in the murder scene, but I don't even think it was really questioned too much about it. Uh, so, at the time, more than likely it would have been a 32 caliber revolver. Revolvers were relatively new. I don't say, I don't mean that relatively new because they had been around for a long time. Oh, they're talking about 32 ACP. All right, so this was a, a small, very light semi-automatic pistol. They were very popular because they could fit in pockets. The practice of pocket pistols still exists to this day, and pockets were larger back in the day. And they were relatively four shots, yeah, relatively quick to fire, and they dealt enough of a, a punch to be able to get like a mugger off of you. And especially at close range, it would be relatively easy to do because almost no recoil because of how small the projectile is. And since this is most likely a direct blowback design, it can't be too strong. Otherwise you'll have to make the gun extremely heavy and that makes it harder to carry in your pocket. And most of the reason people had these kinds of guns was to be able to carry with them with them all the time. Interesting. It's really interesting. Do you think, this was just a theory I had on the top of my head, but do you think that maybe the killer or maybe killers had a certain type of remorse or maybe a little bit of guilt because um, Paul had a hat that was covering his face, which had concealed the gunshot wound. Mill had a scarf wrapped around her neck where I believe it was either her throat or her neck that had been cut. I'm curious, do you think that maybe the killer or killers had maybe some sort of remorse at what had been done that they wanted to maybe just like have the lovers be positioned to touch each other, maybe just have them get one little shred of dignity before, you know, curiosity seekers came and just started taking what they wanted? Potentially. I do find it interesting that her throat was cut. If we ignore the aspect of part of the tongue and the larynx were removed in some of the stories, uh, it could have been more of a, a mercy move because the the right hand side of the face in a couple of locations, if they missed the more vital parts of the brain, uh, she would have still been alive after being shot in the face multiple times. So slitting her throat would have made it a much faster method for her death, as gruesome as that is. And it would be more of a, a mercy act than a, a malicious intent. If we add in the moderate disfigurement with the tongue and the removal of the voice box, that is more of a malicious act rather than an act of mercy. Most likely, but I think in a way it's sort of, the, they wanted to basically torture her to death. I mean, being shot three times, I'm assuming that somebody really wanted her to suffer. I just think that the, the aspect of it is that 32 ACP is not a very powerful cartridge. And if someone still has the jitters from literally just killing one man and she starts to move, the the likelihood of getting a very good clean shot goes down, especially because at the time a lot of these pistols had very, very terrible sights beyond point and shoot range. Really? That's even more interesting. I'm curious if you have any other final thoughts you'd like to share, Trent, since I know I definitely don't want to kick up too much of your time. I think that this is a very interesting uh, case. It really is. 
very, very interesting, and I would definitely like to take one of the tours they have for this particular incident and see what they have there for the locals. Where? 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 We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that after the show. <laughs> okay. And just like we say, one day we will see the Villaseca Axe Murder House, which there is a very, very, very special episode, I believe, back in season two, Detectives. We may do that. I have no idea. We'll see. Won't we? <laughs> yes. But it's really interesting. And I truly, truly can't thank you enough for being here, Trent. I know you said, you know, only 30 minutes. I definitely don't want to take up too much of your time. But I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much. I love being here. Especially, especially discussing especially such an interesting case. Especially as now one of the new team members of Detective Writer, my official guest member, and as well co-host. First official co-host episode. Yes, yes, even though you've been on about two other episodes. Yes. Yes, so thank you so much, and thank you all so much for listening, Detectives. It's been the 100th episode. I'm still shaking as I say that, because it's truly absolutely amazing. And I truly hope you've all enjoyed this episode. I hope you all have a great day, morning, afternoon, evening, or night. Please stay tuned for next week. And until then, keep on something. Bye.